off and you try to kind of, you know, stay on top of that mountain. And, and me and my friend David, we were pushing each other and, and it got a little heated. And I just, I just remember he grabbed me and just started punching me right here in the forehead over and over and over. So I got into my dad's office and, and he saw all these bruises on my head. And he said, Doug, did you get into a fight in school today? And I said, no, why? <laughs> and uh, totally, totally lied. And I remember he looked at me and he looked kind of like confused, and well, what's all this? And I said, well, this morning when I was combing my hair, I kept hitting myself in the forehead. I gave this horrible excuse to cover up this lie, and he didn't discipline me. And I think it's because he knew a, a different kind of discipline was coming, because this is what happens to people who lie about combing their hair. So, no doubt. I remember... Uh, being a part of several musicals that my mom would put on, and she'd be over here playing the piano, and uh, Bob Mertz would be over here playing the organ, and uh, of course, as Pastor Mark said, she's with Jesus now. Uh, many great friends here. I know many of you guys and have great relationships with so many other families in this church. After being here, my family went to Northport Baptist Church, which is now Island Christian Church, and I grew up there. I started youth pastoring when I was 19, and um, as Pastor Mark said at that um, when I was 23, my father-in-law said, hey, why don't you come start a youth group at our church? And so we began to pray about that. And um, I'll tell you a little bit more about that later. But uh, three years ago, Pastor Pavone and I transitioned and I became the senior pastor there at Living Word Church. And so we're just blessed to see God at work. Um, my wife Kelly is here. We met in fourth grade. We didn't get married then, but uh, we met at Smithtown Christian School in fourth grade. I have three beautiful kids who are also here as well. And actually our worship pastor over from Living Word, Andrew and his wife Stephanie, uh, joined us here today too and, and kind of came over to, to spend some time with you guys. But Pastor Mark and I have become good friends over the last year and a half. Uh, he's a gifted, humble, kingdom-minded person. Every time I have lunch with him or we talk, I leave feeling encouraged. And I'm so thankful for Pastor Mark. His wife Joyce is a sweetheart and she and my wife are great friends and have gotten together and prayed together over the years. And so we so appreciate them. I hope you know that they're a gift to your church. I hope you know that they've been faithful here for so many years, preaching and proclaiming the gospel in such an awesome way. And so as you heard, we have been talking about merging. And I just again want to reiterate that this is something we don't know if it's supposed to happen. This is something we're praying about. This is something we're talking about and discussing. We're at a time of uncertainty. This is a, a crossroads that we find ourselves at. And as I'm thinking about this and then hearing about, you know, Chris, uh, Pastor Chris sharing what he did last week, not realizing he wasn't supposed to, and I'm just thinking, man, maybe today the heart of God is just for us to talk about the crossroads in our lives and the times of uncertainty that we all face. Because these things come up in all of our lives, not just about church mergers. It comes up about all different things, right? Some of you have a time of uncertainty having to do with your job right now. There's a situation you're going on, maybe you're getting older and you're thinking, how much longer am I going to do this? Or maybe something has changed in the landscape at your work and you're facing a time of incredible uncertainty. You're at a real crossroads. Maybe it's in a relationship. You know how you feel that sometimes? You're just going through your day and all of a sudden you begin to feel a relationship start to feel different. And you're thinking, oh boy, here we go. We're at a crossroads in this relationship. Maybe you're at this crossroads in your family. Maybe you raised your kids to follow Jesus and they're far from him today. You're saying, God, when are you going to draw them back? Maybe it's your spouse. God, when are you going to draw my husband, my wife back to you? Maybe it's in your own relationship with Jesus. You're at a crossroads. You know he's calling you to do something or change something or surrender something. And you're just feeling like really uncertain about it. And so today, I just want to talk about the question. How do we navigate these crossroads? How do we navigate the crossroads that we face in our lives? When I was in college, I faced a, a huge crossroads. I grew up in an incredibly Christian home, as you can imagine, 
And uh, we used to joke that even our pets love Jesus in our house. Everybody loved Jesus. And uh, if you told my dog to heal, he'd go find a sick person and start praying for him. So it was, uh, some of you will get that joke tomorrow. It's okay. But um, so I grow up in this incredibly Christian home. I go to college and I start taking classes like world religion and philosophy. And this is a Christian school. I'm there to be trained to be a pastor. And all of a sudden, my faith is blown apart. And I'm going, man, everything I heard about Jesus, now I'm hearing about Muhammad, and I'm hearing about Buddha, and I'm hearing about Jehovah's Witnesses, and what's truth? And I faced this huge crossroad, and, and man, by God's grace, he carried me through that time. It was the worst time of my life by far. I, I went into depression, because here I am thinking I'm going to be a pastor, and now I don't even know what to believe. And so I, I got into deep depression, I got into deep doubt, and I felt really alone. Who could I tell about this? I couldn't tell my professors I'm doubting God. I couldn't tell my parents. I couldn't tell anyone. And so I was so alone. And I just cried out to God and I sought his word and I looked into history and how do we know Jesus is alive? And man, I just searched with all my heart. And by God's grace, he showed me, hey, I'm here, Doc, and I can be trusted. And that was an incredible crossroads in my life. And maybe some of you here today are facing a crossroads. Our church is at a crossroads. And we're selling the building that has been our home for almost 40 years. And we've seen God do so much there. And there's a lot of emotion around it. There's a lot of uncertainty around it. It hurts to think about the last Sunday that we'll spend there. But we are at this time of uncertainty about what is next. And we, we told our, our realtor what we need. And he literally laughed in our face, which I so appreciated. That was very uh, reaffirming to me. Uh, and so that's okay. When it's time to pay him, we'll laugh in his face. No, that's terrible. But that's, that's not very Christian of me. But... So there's uncertainty that we're working through, and your church is facing uncertainty as well. And uh, you've lost some people who have moved away over the years. That happens. It's happened to us too. Uh, you lost some people who have passed on to be with Jesus, and they're having a way better day than we are, by the way. We miss them, but they're in a great place, right? And there's been some difficulty because of some difficult situations, some loss that way. And that can be really, really hard to navigate. And so whether we're talking about our churches or we're talking about our personal lives, there's all this uncertainty in life and we face these crossroads. So how do we navigate our crossroads? If somebody in the room today isn't a follower of Jesus, I just want to address you for a second and say, I hope today as we look to, to Scripture that you will find some hope in Jesus, like many of us in this room have found as well. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to look in Acts chapter 9. You guys can open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 9. And we're going to look at a famous crossroads in the Bible. It's actually one of the most famous. It's about a person who is walking down one path in life and suddenly they face the crossroads and then begin to live a completely different way. And I want us to look at Scripture. And I want us to really kind of immerse ourselves in this story and dig down deep and kind of find out what this might have to say to us as we face our crossroads 2,000 years later. And so, basically, to give you a little background, what's happening right now here as we lead up to Acts chapter 9 is, man, the church is moving, people are coming to Christ, everybody's excited, but then all of a sudden, persecution starts, right? And so, Peter and John have been beaten and put in prison and miraculously escaped. Uh, Stephen has been martyred for his faith. And we catch up in Acts chapter 9 here, and we're going to look at kind of this incredible crossroads that somebody faced in their lives. So Acts chapter 9 verse 1 says this, Meanwhile Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So Saul, if we could just pause here for a second, is a huge enemy of the church. He's a huge enemy of Jesus Christ. And this is the path that he's walking right now. 
He's walking the path of persecuting Christians and doing everything he can to shut down the way of the gospel. Verse 3, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And verse 5 is great. Listen to this. Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. Now let's just stop and talk about that for a second. Isn't it interesting that even though Saul didn't have a relationship with God, he still called him Lord? And if you look at the Greek word here for Lord, it doesn't reference someone just in authority or someone who was a master. It literally means a transcendent being. That's the word Saul used when he encountered Jesus. Someone not from our universe. That's what Saul said. That's the word he used when he said, who are you, Lord? So Saul doesn't know who he's talking to, but let's just say Jesus has his attention here, right? So we have to think about this amazing thing God's doing. In Saul's life, this huge crossroads he has led Saul to. Look at what Jesus says. I am Jesus who you're persecuting, he replied. Verse 6, now get up and go into the city. And these words we're about to read are really important. And you will be told what you must do. Let's just pause there for a little while. Some of you guys might be saying, what does this passage have to do with how I navigate my crossroads? Well, I think, we don't think about this a lot, but Saul is facing a huge crossroads. I mean, probably 95% of us in the room know the end of the story, right? But let's pause and think about what Saul must have been facing right now. What he was feeling. Maybe what he was thinking. He, He must have been thinking, I just got knocked down to the ground. I was told that I'm speaking to God and that I'm persecuting him. And here I am completely uncertain about what I'm supposed to do next. I've been told I'm supposed to get up and go into the city and be told what, I'll be, uh, what to do next. Talk about uncertainty, right? Saul's at an incredible crossroads here. We don't really think about that too much with this story, but if, if Saul walks down this path that he's just been told to walk down, everything in his life is going to change. Everything he's known is going to become different. And he's at this crossroads. What is Saul going to do? How will he navigate these crossroads? Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been there? You're walking through life and suddenly you begin to think, I didn't see this coming. Some of you last Sunday, you didn't see that announcement coming. None of us did. And here we are navigating this crossroads in your personal life. Some of you are thinking, man, I didn't know my relationship was going to change. I didn't see my kids walking away from Christ. I didn't see that coming. I didn't see my spouse's heart. Where did all this come from? I didn't know I was going to have to surrender this. I didn't know God was going to call me to do that. And we find ourselves at the incredible crossroads. And here's what I want to encourage you with. Whether you're thinking about your own personal life or the uncertainty of this merger right now, what I love about this passage are the last several words we just read. You will be told what you must do. You are not left alone in your crossroads. God is going to tell you what you must do. So here's what I love. Jesus didn't tell Saul, here I am. I'm Jesus who you're persecuting. Now go into the city and figure the rest out. No, he said, go into the city and I'm going to tell you what you must do. You're at this huge crossroads here, Paul, or Saul. Well, he'll become Paul, right? But I've got you in this and I'm walking with you. God's going to tell you what you must do and he's going to do the same for you and I. Job situation, he's going to tell you what you must do. Relationship struggle, he's going to tell you what you must do. Surrendering something to him that maybe feels really big, he's going to show you what you must do. This merger situation, he is going to show us what we must do. 
And so you know, what, you know what? The most important question when you and I are at a crossroads isn't which of these options makes the most sense, right? I mean, it's important to do our homework, to do our research, and to figure things out, but that's not the most important question. There's a better one. The most important question is not what difficulties might I face if I go in this direction. That's a good question. We should count the cost, but there's a better question. The best question isn't even the question I brought up earlier. How do I navigate these crossroads? You know what the most important question is as you and I face our crossroads? It's this. What is God saying I must do at this crossroads? That's the one that counts. That's the one that we have to get right. And I just want to encourage you today and tell you God will show you and show me what we must do. Saul is at this crossroads, and God has a will. In fact, Saul is going to navigate this crossroads, as we're going to see in just a minute, by waiting and hearing what God would tell him he must do. Let's check out verse 7. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They, they heard the sound but not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. Now let's pause again. I don't know what Saul was thinking here, but I know what I would have been thinking I would have been thinking, I'm blind. I would have been thinking, I've lost all this perception. I would have been thinking, how much would change for me if I was going to walk down this path that's before me now? Think about what would change for Saul if he was going to follow through with this. He was talking career change. He was talking becoming an outcast among the Jews and the Romans. And he was talking about getting a huge, huge target put on his head by anyone who hated the way of Jesus. Because now a persecutor is going to become potentially persecuted. And so there is a ton on the line for Saul in all this. Have you ever been there? You're at the crossroads. You feel like you're blind. You feel like you can't see what you're supposed to do next. You've lost tremendous perception. You know that it might cost a lot to walk a new way and walk the way that God might call you to walk. But what I love about this story is that Saul, at this crossroads in his life, he trusts Jesus. He gets up, he goes into the city, and he waits for when he's told what he must do. And that brings up a huge question for you and I. And the question is this, why would Saul trust God? Why would Saul trust Jesus? You know why he would trust him? Because he had just encountered the living God. And that changes everything. He just had this experience that he's never had anything close to in his life. And I want to encourage you today. Because as you and I face our crossroads, as we face those uncertain situations in our lives, haven't we also encountered the living God? Haven't we also seen him change our lives? Haven't we seen him answer prayer and come through and provide finances? Haven't we seen him save our souls and provide things like peace and joy, which you can't find anywhere else? And so you can trust Jesus today at your crossroads, if you've encountered him. Because you know this amazing living God that wants to walk with us through all those times of uncertainty. If you're not a follower of Jesus, can I just pause today and tell you that God wants to do so much in your life, that he loves you so much, he, he put his son on the cross to die in your place, to rise back from the dead so that you could know him. And he wants to walk with you through life and also secure your eternity by what he's done on the cross. Let's get back to our story. Verse 9. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. Don't you wish the Lord spoke to you like that? Wouldn't that be great? Sometimes I wish God would just be like, Yo, Doug, I've got something I want to tell you to do. That would be great. This is how God spoke to Ananias. Verse 11. 
The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man named, oh, I'm sorry, from Tarsus named Saul, for he's praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Now think about this. Remember, Saul encounters Jesus, right? And he's told, go into the city, you'll be told what you must do. And here is a part of God delivering on that promise. Here's Saul having this vision of Ananias coming and praying for him. So God has begun to tell him what he must do. Stay here, wait for a man that I'm going to send. Verse 13, Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. So here stands Ananias at a crossroads. Right? We saw Saul at his crossroads, but now Saul's saying, okay, God, I've surrendered to you. I'm going to do what you want me to do. But now Ananias is at a crossroads. Understandably, he's a little bit intimidated by Saul. He knows all that Saul has done to the Christians. Saul's reputation precedes him. So Ananias is now giving God all the list of reasons why he shouldn't do this, which if you've been a Christian for a while, you know that's never a good plan, right? And so here's Ananias coming up with all those reasons why God's plan must not be what God thinks it is. Verse 15, But the Lord said to Ananias, Go. This man's my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. So God just sort of blows past Ananias' list of human reasons why he shouldn't go and says, These are my plans. Go. That's why the most important question is, isn't what will change? The most important question is, what is going to be difficult about this? No, the most important question is always, what is God saying that I must do? And so Ananias is wondering how to navigate his own crossroads here, and the Lord tells him. Verse 16, he says, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Verse 17, then Ananias went to the house and entered it. So Ananias says, okay, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done. I'm scared to death but I'm going to surrender to what you've had because I've experienced the living God and I know that he can be trusted. The next part of the verse says this, but placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized and after taking some food, he regained his strength. So think about this. Both Saul and Ananias were open to God's agenda. They stood at a crossroads and they said, God, what are you telling me that I must do? They both had huge obstacles to overcome. They both had a big list of reasons why they shouldn't do what God was calling them to do. But Saul, having encountered Jesus, knew it was worth it. And Ananias surrendered. And I love that God, who promised to tell Saul what he must do, sent Ananias to do the telling. There's something I want you to see here. This is so important. Think about this. It wasn't until after, after, right, Saul and Ananias did what God called them to do that Saul got his sight back. So often in our lives, we want our sight before we trust God, right? So often God's calling us to this or to that, and it's like, God, if you just tell me what to do here, absolutely, I will trust you. If you just show me how this will play out, if you can give me a little bit of an inside peek into what the outcome is going to be, God, I will absolutely trust you. Just show me everything's going to be okay. But Saul and Ananias had to trust before Saul had his eyesight back. And sometimes God calls you and I to trust. Often, actually, I have to say, 99.9% of the time, God calls you and I to trust before we have our sight, right? then we trust and we come through 
and we see all that he was up to. And then we kind of feel silly, don't we? Why did I fear so much? Why was I so uncertain? Why was I so scared about this crossroads? God had it all the time. He was going to tell me what I must do all along. The next part says, Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. So Paul is all in here. Paul says, okay, God's told me what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to go go preach the gospel. I'm supposed to go at any cost, spread the good news. I'll go to jail. I'll be beaten. I'll be left for dead. I'm going for it. And to summarize the next several verses, the next five verses, that's exactly what we see. We see Saul preaching and doing what God had told him he must do. But let's skip down for time's sake to verse 26. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. But they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. And so now we've seen Saul at a crossroads, right? We've seen Ananias at a crossroads. Now we have this group of disciples, this group of Jesus followers at a crossroads. Are we going to bring this guy Saul in or not? And they have, again, another list of human reasons why they shouldn't. Saul's been killing Christians. Saul's been putting people in prison. And you know what's interesting about this is who these disciples are. You see, this group of disciples we're talking about, we know at least one of them was one of the disciples, Peter. If you look in Galatians, you find out that Saul was introduced to Peter and also the brother of Jesus, James. So these are some pretty high-profile followers of Jesus who are scared to death about this crossroads of accepting Saul into their fellowship. And I love what happens here. Look what it says. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Barnabas steps into the middle of this and says, I see God at work. I see God doing something. And we could sit back and be afraid or we could look at all the uncertainty around us and stay intimidated. But no, I am going to step forward into what I see God doing. And let's read 28 through 31. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. I love it. I love the outcome. So Saul has surrendered to God at his crossroads. Ananias, Barnabas have surrendered to God at their crossroads. And the result was a time of peace, a time of strengthening, a time of encouragement by the Holy Spirit, and a time of increased numbers, which means people were coming to know Jesus. What an amazing outcome. What a great plan God had all along. And I'm so thankful that these three men decided we're in. We're going to surrender to God. We're going to let him lead us. And we're going to follow what he's called us to do. I don't know what uncertainty you're facing today. But what I do know is that the Lord will tell you what you must do. I have no doubt about that. If you're a Jesus follower, he is going to show you and I what we must do. He will lead you through the uncertainty at the job, in the relationship. You will know how to pray for a loved one who isn't following Jesus. You will know what to do next in your own relationship with God and surrendering your life to him. But this merge, we don't know if it's supposed to happen or not. We don't know if God's calling our churches to come together or not, but this we do know. 
He's going to show us what we must do. And so what I want to encourage you to do here today is I want to encourage you to seek God in this season. Seek him for those uncertain things in your life. Seek him for those things going on and ask him to show you what you must do. Ask the most important question. God, what are you saying that I must do here? God, I don't want to navigate my circumstances on my own. You know what happens when we do that, right? Everything falls apart. We make a bigger mess when we get ahead of God. But no, let's let him lead us and show us. You see, our greatest asset as we face a crossroads is not our own abilities, is not our schemes and our plans we can come up to, come up with, is not all those things. In fact, our prayer through this whole process in our church with this building has been this precisely. God, when we sell our building and we leave here, we pray you will do something so big that only you can get the credit that only you can get the glory. God, I pray it won't be that we all came up with this great plan and everyone can say, wow, look what great savers they are, look what great you know, negotiators they are. God, do something that our realtor sees was you, the people in our church sees was you, the people on Long Island sees was you. And that's the amazing thing about partnering with God in these types of situations is then he gets all the credit and he is put on this beautiful stage. And so will you seek him? Will you seek his word? He's going to speak to us through his word, right? Will you seek him in prayer? Will you pray that God will show up and speak and make things so clear for you as you face those uncertainties in your life? I love that God spoke to Saul. He spoke to Barnabas. He spoke to Ananias. He's going to do the same for you and for me. And you know what? He's going to show us through his word. He's going to show us through prayer. But he's also going to show us his will through open and closed doors, right? Revelation is an amazing verse. I love this verse. It says this about God. He opens a door that no one can shut, and he shuts a door that no one can open. He's got the ultimate say. He's got the ultimate power and authority. And I love the verses that we read this morning. I just want to read them to you again. Ephesians 1, 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. And this is so important right here. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. And this is beautiful right here. And he seated him. If I could find my spot here. (laughs) At his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above. This is amazing. Far above all authority and all power. So here we are in our lives trying to figure out why is this person acting this way? Why does my job seem out of control? What's going on in my life? Jesus is seated above all authority and all power. And it goes on in dominion and every name that's invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one that's to come. And God placed all things under his feet. Your job's under his feet. Your relationship is under his feet. Your kids, your grandkids coming back to Jesus, your spouse, all under the feet of Jesus. This merger under the feet of Jesus. And I love that it says that he's appointed to be the head over everything for the church. You know what that means? That means I think he's paying attention to all the crossroads we're at in life. But when our two churches are praying about coming together, man, Jesus is the head of that. He's not a little interested in that. No, that's his call. He's over it all. And he's going to tell us what we must do. When I was 23, my father-in-law 
found out that Kelly and I, as we were at, uh, I was a youth pastor at Northport Baptist at the time, and we just began to feel like God was moving in our hearts and leading us to something else. It was a great church, it still is, but just like God had something else. We were actually thinking and praying about actually going out to Riverhead and planting a church, and thank God he protected us at 23. That would have been a mess and a nightmare. And so my father-in-law said, Doug, I know you're planning on, you know, leaving where you are, so would you pray about coming and starting a youth group at our church? And I began to talk with a few friends about that. And I talked with one pastor in particular who sat me down at a table and he took out a piece of paper and he put all the things that my father-in-law kind of was passionate about on one side of the paper and he put all the things I'm passionate about on the other side. And he said, let's look at the two and see how they lined up. And they couldn't have been more different. And he said, my pastor friend said, Doug, it's not going to work. This is not of God. This is not what he has for you. Look how different this all is. And like Pastor Mark says, who wants to work for your father-in-law anyway, right? I mean, this is the guy who sharpened his machetes when I came to pick up his, his daughter for the first time. I'm not making that up. This is truth. <laughs> my wife and I sought God. And we felt like God said, you know what? You can line up your little piece of paper, Doug. But those are human plans. And I've got a different plan. And by God's grace, all I can say is that it worked. That came to the church 16 years ago and we started out a youth group and God began to move and God began to save and, and growing kind of through the, through the years and into the senior pastor role. God's given us a passion to help people center their lives around Jesus. And here's what excites me so much about that is that he's put on our heart to reach people of every age, every stage of life, and every stage of faith. And we've seen God reach the young and the old together. We've seen this, this vision for the generations. One of my favorite things I shared with your elders and deacons is, is to walk through the lobby after the service and run into a teenager who says, man, I needed that service today. And to take another 10 steps and to run into a 70-year-old who said, man, I needed that service today. To see kids and grand grandparents and parents worshiping in the same row. I love that. Love to see God at work in every stage of faith. That means the unsaved. That means people who don't normally come to church. Like David said, you know, 75% of their kids being unchurched. That's beautiful. And to see God bringing people to, to Christ and, and beginning to just help them walk and get their legs underneath them and give them some space to try to figure out what this looks like to surrender their lives to Jesus. Nothing like seeing the lost come to Christ and then invite their friends. Nothing like seeing new believers discipled and grow in their faith. And nothing like seeing the mature grow in their faith. I saw Keith Schwamm when I walked in today. And he looked at me and my kids and he said, I used to babysit him. <laughs> and so I love that God can reach people way older than me through his word. I love that God can, can reach people young, my age, I'm almost 40, and much older than me, all in the same service, all in the same room. And so by God's grace, Though we were told, this isn't going to work, this is not God's heart, it doesn't line up on paper, God allowed it to work. Were there challenges? Yeah. <laughs> were there times my father-in-law and I had some pretty difficult conversations? Yeah, ask Andrew, he's on staff, he knows, right? We have some, some difficult conversations sometimes because we're really different, but it doesn't mean that it wasn't God. And, and here's what I know. I know God's going to lead you and I. And I don't know if we're supposed to come together or not. I honestly don't. Pastor Mark doesn't have that answer today. We just don't know. And that's why we're talking. And that's why we're praying and we're seeking him. And I guess my prayer is, is would you pray? 
And would you seek God that his will would be accomplished? He's writing a beautiful story. And we're kind of blind right now, right? We have uncertainty. We're at a crossroads. We don't know what the outcome will be. And so would you just pray? And would you ask God to lead us? He opens a door that no one can shut, and he shuts a door that no one can open. All authority and all power. The scripture says he doesn't just have all authority and all power. He's seated high above all authority and all power and everything's under his feet and he is the head of New Village Church and Living Word Church and the church around the world. At the end of the day, he's going to tell us what what we must do. If you're not a follower of Jesus today, I hope you're seeing the awesome God that we serve. Jesus who died and rose back from the dead wants to have a relationship with you. And if you today are sensing something in your heart being drawn to him, that's him doing the drawing. And so I hope today you'd call on his name and look to him and turn from your sin and allow him to begin a new process in your life. Thank you so much for letting me be here with you guys today. So grateful for you guys, so grateful for New Village. And my prayer, and I live right around the corner, so I drive around this neighborhood all the time. My prayer for New Village Church, whether I'm a part of it in the future or not, is that God will do the impossible here. That his name will be glorified, that his name will be lifted high, that this property will be filled with people coming to Christ and being discipled deeply into all that he is. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much that you're an awesome God. And your ways are not our ways. And that's a good thing. That's a really good thing. That, God, we face times of uncertainty. And we face our crossroads. And we're blind sometimes, God. We, We can't see what you see. We're not seated high above all authority and all power. You are. And so, God, we come to you today. And we need you so, so desperately. God, we lift to you our job situation, our family struggles, our relationship issues, that loved one that doesn't know Christ, the own issues of our heart. We lift our merger potential to you. And we just say, God, your kingdom come, your will be done. So show us what your heart is, God. And I thank you, God, that we are not left to ourselves. Thank you so much, God, that you're going to tell us what we must do.